So it was September 13th, 2001. I was a senior in high school. And I was two days after the attack on the World Trade Center in the Pentagon, and I found myself waiting in line at a rock concert. I remember waiting in line, trying to get through security. It was a little bit tight, of course, after the events of the week. A rock concert like that one always draws a diverse crowd, diverse crowd. I remember watching people as uh, they were trying to get through security and security was uh, searching them. If you remember that time um, in our country, it was like TSA on steroids. Um, But I remember uh, the vast majority of folks that were in line had uh, chains and spikes and black leather, typical early 2000s goth rock garb. This was pre-Pastor Tim days. I, stand, I stood in line in my jeans and t-shirt that I always wore. I felt a little bit out of place, but I was okay with it. Um, as I emptied my pockets into the, into the bowl, you know, the little plastic inspection bowls, um, I put my keys in and the, um, the security guard got really agitated because he, he saw the carabiner on my keychain. Um, for the security guard informed me that I could not enter with my carabiner because it was on the security list as something that could be used as a weapon. Now, I'm not the best judge of what constitutes a weapon or not, but in my defense, it was an aluminum carabiner that clearly stated on it, not for climbing, right? It was decoration only. The, the uh, security guard did not appreciate my argument that the person in front of me got let in with a leather spike necklace that I thought was much more threatening than my carabiner. And to illustrate the point, I grabbed my keys out of the bucket and I swung the carabiner over my head and said, does this look like a weapon to you? He did not appreciate that. In fact, my carabiner quickly found its way into the trash can, never to be seen again. But, you know, we put a lot of restrictions on things. Um, Whether it's standing in line at a concert or it's going to a sporting event or even driving down the road, we're confronted with all kinds of of human-made signs, limits, and barriers. And most of these things we don't even react to because we're so used to them. Like when we see the sign, stay off the grass, right? Or no trespassing. Or or what about no shirt, no shoes, no service? Uh, This one gave me a chuckle. Halt, thou shalt not enter. It's the 11th commandment. The jokes don't get any better, folks. I'm, I'm serious about that. My favorite one was this. I was going to put it in my office, but I was told I couldn't. Do not enter unless you have chocolate. Um, or, you know, then the sign says, long-haired, freaky people need not apply. Barriers and restrictive signs fill up our view as we travel through the world. And I'm, I'll be honest, I'm the last person who should stand in front of you today and should talk about the realities of exclusion with people for signs. Not long ago in our country's history, signs were placed on businesses and gathering places to prevent people from access. Some signs were meant to keep order and in some situations only served to create chaos as people were barred from entering specific spaces. And so this morning, I wonder, have you ever felt like you've been blocked from entering a place? Have you ever felt unwelcomed? Do you ever read a sign that says, do not enter, and the hairs on the back of your neck kind of stick up and you get that chill? The cold reality is that each of us here knows what, it likes to, what it's like to be an outsider. 
I believe that everyone experiences exclusion in some way, shape, or form at some point in their life. Exclusion in the world today is not simply a societal problem, it's also a church problem. I've worked and served in many churches over the course of my life. Aaron and I actually were once, um, how do I say, forced out of a church. Not like some weird spiritual bouncer in the sanctuary like throwing us out on the street. But it was decided at a leadership meeting that um, what the trometers were doing was not appropriate or acceptable anymore in the church and we were asked to leave. I'll get back to that later. I wonder, have you ever felt like an outsider in a faith community? Have you ever felt unloved in a church? Have you ever felt unwelcomed? I will be completely honest with you, I have. I have. I'm grateful that this faith community, this faith community is not like that. This community of faith puts so much emphasis and focus on including people and keeping it open for all people, without barriers. But unfortunately for me, the sign that said, do not welcome, or do not enter, you're not welcome here, looked like this. Now I'm not gonna tell you which denominational symbol it was, nor will I tell you which church it was, because that's not important today. But for some of us, the hurts that we've experienced by people in the church gets emphasized by a symbol, or a sign, or maybe even a building when you drive by that place and your blood pressure starts to boil and it's kind of like a trigger. What is essential is that I believe that I'm not the only one who's been hurt by a church or by people in a church. I believe that many people have gone to a worship center to find God and have been turned away because something about them or their life has put a barrier between them and the people who are already there. I believe that some, either intentionally or unintentionally, are prevented from experiencing the love and grace of Jesus Christ because people put signs up they put walls up, they put barriers up that prevent us from seeking God. Sometimes people get away in the way of the gift of God's love and grace in their lives. And today I wanna talk to those of you who have been hurt by the church, by the big C church, the church universal, or people in a church. Because no matter how genuine the intention of an organized church, it's still full of broken and flawed people. Just like all of us, we're broken and we're flawed because if we weren't, we wouldn't need a savior in the first place. Barriers are not a new thing in the life of the church. We work really hard here at Redeemer to not have any of those barriers. Communion is open for everyone. Everything in worship is available to everything, everyone here. We don't wanna have anything get in the way of your experience of Jesus Christ and his love for you. We take pride that our vision is being a church where people who are churched and, and unchurched love to worship. We're all about that. And it's such an amazing thing, but that's not the way that it is in a lot of churches. Not all the churches are like that. If you look at the early church into Jesus' time in the first century, we'll find that there were a lot of barriers that were put in the place between God and people. And I want to take you into an event recorded in the book of Acts, and it takes place just after Pentecost. And as most of you know, Pentecost is that time where the Holy Spirit descended on the disciples in the upper room, and they were empowered with the Holy Spirit, and they could perform miracles. 
The story today is a miracle story that was performed by Peter at the temple in Jerusalem, and it's in Acts chapter three. I would remind you, for our younger worshipers today, if you wanna find it in the Read and Learn Bible, it's on page 466. And it goes like this. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth was being carried in. Each day he was put beside the temple gate, the one called the beautiful gate. And he could, so he could beg from the people going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. Peter and John were going to the temple at three o'clock to pray. So during this time period, the Jewish temple in Jerusalem hosted multiple services during the day. People could come in and pray at different times, but the three o'clock prayer service was both a prayer service and a sacrificing service. As, as you remember, in Jewish traditions, they sacrificed animals for a variety of reasons. Now, the three o'clock service was not the primary sacrificing service, um, that happened earlier in the day. But they would meet and they would sacrifice usually two animals at the three o'clock service and then they would pray. I wanna guide you through what this journey for Peter and John would have been like going um, through and into the temple and meeting this lame beggar who was sitting at the beautiful gate. Because understanding the location helps us paint a picture of what is happening in this healing event. So. Remember that in 70 AD, the temple was destroyed by the Romans, but in Jesus' day, it was still intact. So let's put a picture up there of what it looks like today. So there's the temple in Jerusalem as it sets today. And as you can see, there's a wall surrounding the temple, and there's a pavilion on the left. Now, the pavilion on the left is called the Royal Pavilion. I'll give you a hint. The names of these places pretty much describe what they're for, okay? And so there's the Royal Pavilion. The outer walls surround the, the courtyard of the Gentiles or the Gentiles' courtyard on those sides. You had to walk up some stairs to get into this courtyard, and it's important because elevation was an essential part of the construction of the temple. You see, the, the higher you went in elevation in the temple, the holier they believed the space to be. So the higher you went, the holier you went. And so the lowest part of the temple here is the Gentiles' courtyard. Elevation directly correlated to the level of holiness or the perceived level of holiness of the space. So the central stu structure is called Herod's temple. Only Jews were allowed to enter the inner courts of Herod's, Herod's temple. So going up some stairs, Peter and John would have gone up to a gate that would have allowed them to enter into the woman's courtyard. Now the woman's courtyard is named such because this is as far as you could go as a Jewish woman. So this is the woman's courtyard. Um, being Jewish men, the, Peter and John could have gone up some more stairs and gone through this gate of Nicanor. You don't have to quote me on that, but that's how I pronounce it. Nicanor. And then they would enter this court of the Israelites. This is where you could go, as far as you could go, as a male, a Jewish male. So let's put the square around the Jewish court, or the court of the Israelites. And this one is a really long and a really narrow courtyard. From there, you would have pillars in front of you and a couple of stairs that would let you see the court of the priests. And in the priest's courtyard, you'll notice there's the altar and the slaughterhouse. And so this is where the sacrifices were done. And so as a Jewish male, you would stand in the court of the Israelites and you would look up and you could see the priests 
doing the sacrifices. Now, the priests could go a little bit farther. They could go up the steps and then go into the, onto the porch, and then they could go a little bit farther into the sanctuary, and then there was a veil that separated the sanctuary from the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies is that square in the very back, and this is in, in the Hebrew Bible where, where they would have kept the Ark of the Covenant. The veil that separated the two, if you remember the Easter story, when, when uh, Jesus died, the, it says the veil was torn in the temple. That barrier is that veil between that Holy of Holies and the sanctuary. I want you to recognize all of these stairs, all of these gates, all of these levels, all of these barriers. Jewish men were able to take a couple of steps through the gate. The priests were able to go this far. The reason why I want to talk to you about the structures of the temple is because I want you to see how many barriers this lame beggar would have really had to deal with. The, the scholars debate which gate he was sitting at. Um, it was either the gate entering into the women's courtyard or the gate of Nancor going into the courtyard of the Israelites. Either way, it was a gate that had guards that prevented certain people from entering. If do not enter signs existed at this time, you would see them plastered all over the walls. Do not enter. Jews only. Gentiles in the back. No women beyond this point. No men beyond this point. Priests only. Everything about the temple was designed to exclude those who were not holy enough or not clean enough or not good enough to get into the center because only the priests could go to the highest places in the temple. To get to the court of the Israelites, you would have to go through gate after gate, barrier after barrier, and in each gate, you would have, there would have been temple guards making sure that the right people were in the right places and the wrong people stayed out. This was a part of the culture of the early temple. You had to be the right person to get in. So Peter and John go to the temple to pray at 3 o'clock. As Jewish men, they had access all the way into the courtyard of the Israelites. And as they answered, they see him, a lame man begging on the stairs. From this man's perspective, he had chosen the most profitable place to beg. Devout Jews going to afternoon prayer service were an easy mark. They were more likely to give alms to the poor. Seeing Peter and John, the lame beggar asked for money. Now, everyone knew this man. Everyone knew him because he had sat at the temple gate every day. Day in and day out, he was on the stairs, unable to enter the temple. The beggar, unable to become ceremonially clean, unable to have access to the blessing of God because of his social economic status and a culture that believed that bad things happened to you because you were a bad person. Sitting on, sitting on the stairs. Caution, do not enter. This was the life that the beggar lived. Lame from birth, outcast to the religious society, unwelcome on the inside. So let's see what Peter and John do. Peter and John looked at him intently. Look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up and walk. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. As he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. He jumped up, stood on his feet, and began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. 
When they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. Peter looks intently at the man and tells him to look at him, to make make eye contact. Peter does this because what he's going to say is essential, and he doesn't want him to miss it. I don't have any money, Peter says. And I'm sure the the beggar was, he turned the other way to go to the next person to make the next ask. But Peter goes on and says that what he does have, he's willing to give. And then he tells him to get up in the name of Jesus Christ, and Peter helps him up. The lame beggar was an outcast in society as well as in the church. He was not welcome in the house of the Lord because of his situation, because of his circumstances, because of who he was. All the beggar wanted was enough to get by in life. He wasn't looking to raise funds to to have some miracle cure. He He wasn't looking to go see a doctor. He was asking for just enough money to buy food for the day. Please, anything helps. The lame beggar didn't go to the temple that day to be healed. He went to the temple to beg for charity. But what he found in the temple that day was something that he had never found before. He went to the temple day in, day out. But on this day, everything was different. On this day, Peter and John showed up, followers of Jesus Christ, and they did not have what the beggar wanted. They did not have what he was asking for, but they did have what he needed. The lame beggar who was ostracized from the community, who was rejected from society, didn't truly need money. He needed something greater. And Peter and John, the faithful followers of Christ, gave only what they have had. They gave the blessing of Jesus Christ miraculously. Peter did not heal the man. He was healed by the power of Jesus Christ. As he stood for the first time in his life on feet that had never carried his body, he was overcome with joy, a joy that he had never experienced before because the first time in his life he was able to enter the temple and he praised God, the author of the healing, who gave him new life, free from the barriers of society, free from the barriers of the temple, healed and freed in Christ. All of us, All of us have been hurt by the church in some way. At different times in our lives, in different ways, and some of the barriers that we place in front of ourselves are our own guilt and our own shame. Sometimes we create the barriers that prevent us from seeking God's grace in our lives. Sometimes it's the church that, and the religious people that set standards that don't include us. Sometimes we walk away feeling judged instead of feeling the love of Christ that is meant to be shared. But what this story reminds us of today is that no matter what it is that has prevented you from experiencing God, the power of Jesus Christ can still change your life. It can still change your life. You can still enter his gates with thanksgiving in your heart because it's not the human-made barriers that are placed in front of you. Sometimes, We ask for the wrong things in our faith. Like the the beggar, we're asking for money when we should be asking for healing. Sometimes God brings healing directly to us, and sometimes the healing comes from a follower of Christ who's trying to give only that which they have to the person in need. Oftentimes, the healing is received from a person we didn't even ask anything for and someone we didn't even know, and the healing comes in a way we didn't expect. Hear me, healing is, is not cure. 
Healing does not mean cure. It is the power of Christ and the power of God that transforms the heart and the life. I want you to think with me for a moment about this event again, about the people, the the players, if you will, Peter, John, and this beggar. We would love to see ourselves as Peter and John, bringing healing and new life to others, dedicated followers of Jesus Christ, bringing hope to the world. But the truth is, is that most of us are the beggar in the story. We're broken, hurt people. We're broken, we're hurt by people, we're hurt by the church, by society, by our families, by our work life, our physical, our physical health, gates and barriers to the fullness of life that we so desire. We have a lot to learn from the lame beggar. And so I wanna give you my four points today, four things that I want you to remember and take with you this morning. And the first one is to make eye contact. Make eye contact. As you find yourself sitting at your gate, sitting on your stair, stuck and frustrated, recognize that God will bring people into your life. God will bring people into your life. Make eye contact with them. Focus on them. Focus on the people and places where God is reaching out to you through others. It could be your small group community. It could be your church family. It could be your close friends. It could be your family. It could be someone you've never met before as it was the lame man, but when you see them, make eye contact, focus on them, put your focus there, not on the barrier or the gate or the stair that you're stuck at, but on the hope that God is bringing into your life. Point two, evaluate your ask. The lame beggar was short-sighted in his ask. When, when you come into the full reality that is God, we often limit ourselves by our asking. The lame man was asking for spare change when God was willing and ready to heal his life. Evaluate your ask. Are you asking God for the right things? A few weeks ago, Pastor Rod shared a quote that I really liked, and I'm gonna modify it, but Pastor Rod said, and I paraphrase, do something that will only happen if God steps in. I want you to ask for something that will only happen if God steps in. Point three, seek God's healing. Our God has the power to heal us in this life. God's healing is not the same thing as a physical cure. Sometimes God cures cancer, yes. Sometimes God heals the soul. Often we seek cures for symptoms instead of seeking healing in our lives. God offers us healing in life. Like it or not, healing is not always the same thing as cure. But seek God's healing. And point four goes hand in hand with that. Celebrate the healing. Celebrate the healing. Healing comes in so many ways. God works in our physical, our mental, our emotional, and our relationship lives. And healing can come in many forms. Healing is not just a physical health issue. When God heals you in your life, whether it be a physical healing, a relationship renewed, peace of mind or of heart, celebrate that healing. Jump for joy as the beggar did. God heal, God's healing leads to renewed life, which is meant to be celebrated. Not a self-centered, it's my birthday party, everything about me celebration, but a celebration that, that honors God, the author of real healing in life. Sometimes we place barriers and gates in the way of our experience of God. Sometimes it's our life situation that gets in the way. We feel as though we can't come to God because something that we have done or something that has happened to us. 
Sometimes it's shame or guilt in our life that prevents us from seeking and experiencing God. Whatever it is in your life, you create those barriers that limit your connection with God. Understand that nothing can separate us from God's love found in Christ. Other times, it feels as though the church seems to place perceived barriers and gates in the way of our experience of God. The people of God who are struggling to follow the way of Christ stumble as they go, and and in their wake, we, we have hurt relationships, we have broken feelings, but still, these are human-made barriers that get in the way. Nothing can separate us from God. Paul is very clear about this in Romans 8. And I am convinced, I love that word, I am convinced, Paul says. I want you to be convinced as well. He says, I am convinced that nothing, do you know that word, nothing? Nothing, everyone say nothing. Nothing. I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries for tomorrow, not even the powers of hell, do you hear that? Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or on the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. What if you actually lived that? What if you were convinced that nothing could separate you from God? No boundary, no border, no gate, no stairwell, no sign could prevent you. What if you set aside those self-perceived hypothetical barriers in your life that prevent you from realizing God's amazing love for you? How would your life be different today or this week or this month or this year If instead of asking for vengeance and retribution, you started asking for healing. I was angry for a lot of years at that church who pushed us out. I was angry about the way I was treated. I did not understand how a church could call themselves a church if that was the way that they treated people. I prayed, this is pre-Pastor Tim, I prayed that God would crumble that church to the ground and close its doors. I'm not proud of that fact, but I, I will be honest, I prayed that. I was so hurt and broken and bitter at that church. Toxic, emotional state of my heart, it festered in me. I was so angry. I'm not proud of it, but I was hurting. My anger and my frustration were a barrier that prevented me from fully experiencing what God had for me in my life. What I was asking God for was vengeance, but what God gave me was not vengeance. Instead, what God gave me was healing healing from the brokenness, healing from my pain, healing from my toxic emotional state. I asked for vengeance, and Jesus healed my heart. And Jesus can heal your heart too. You see, we are often the beggar in this story. Our problem is that we've been asking for the wrong thing for so long we've convinced ourselves that it's the right thing. When in reality, the thing that we need most 
is the healing that can only be found in Jesus Christ, the living Son of God, Jesus Christ, the author of true healing in life. What are you asking for today? Are you asking for vengeance or are you asking for retribution or are you asking for money or for power or for status? What are you asking for? You see, God made people and people made barriers. Today, I wonder, what are you asking for? And maybe, just, just maybe, Peter's words in Acts are actually words that are meant for you today. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, get up, and you fill in the rest. Let's pray. Holy God, sometimes we get confused about what it is that we should be asking for. We focus on our, our own interests, our own status, our own position. We lose sight of the fact that you offer us something so much more significant than anything this world could ever provide. Healing. Healing of our bodies, of our minds, of our spirits. Physical, emotional, mental, spiritual healing. God, give us the courage and the wisdom to ask for the right things. And heal us all by the power of your Son, Jesus the Christ. And everyone said, Amen.